Hey, it's Michael here. Just before we start, I wanted to let you know that this is the last episode of season one. Preparations are well underway for season two, and we'd really appreciate it if you could give us some feedback by filling in our survey. And you can find it at softcat.com forward slash podcast survey. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by SoftCat. This is a show for IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on detail. I'm host Michael Bird, and over the next 20 or so minutes, I'll be challenging our panel of experts to take a different area of the IT ecosystem and, of course, explain it. This week, we're getting to the bottom of cloud, what exactly it is, why organizations should care about it, and some things that an organization might need to consider before taking the plunge. So with me today to help discuss all things cloud is Dean Gardner, SoftCat's Chief Technologist for Cloud, Helen Gidney, SoftCat's Technical Design Team Leader, and Craig Lajinski, SoftCat's Chief Technologist for Developing Technologies. So first question, Dean, what is cloud? Is it just marketing spill for putting all my stuff in someone else's data center? So it, it can be, because um, ultimately the cloud sits in a range and, and, and uh, a global data center uh, footprint for those hyperscale providers, the likes of Amazon and, and, and Microsoft and, and Google and, and, and recently Alibaba. You could put IBM Cloud in there as well. Um, so they're investing heavily in infrastructure that sits in data centers, uh, just like organizations invested um, themselves in their own data centers. So, so, so it is to a point, but ultimately you're delivering or organizations are looking to consume services um, and we're talking infrastructure as a service platform as a service software as a service um, to kind of take away some of the headaches of actually running a data center so that's what cloud ultimately provides and i'm talking the public cloud market um, and obviously organizations can still build their own private clouds but that's when you look at automating and orchestrating and giving that self-service capability but on infrastructure potentially you're still running um, that would sit in either your data center or a colo data center so so, so yes, partly it is infrastructure that's running in someone else's data center or a data center, but it's the stuff that you put on top of that that makes it essentially a cloud platform. Yeah, I think it it started off. You look at the origin of of the cloud providers. You know, all the big three started off with providing VMs. Well, that's EC2, Azure VMs, Google Google Cloud Platform VMs. That was where they started off, and that's probably where that accusation, that conception of well, it's just you know, the same same infrastructure running in somebody else's data center. Now you're talking well in excess of 150 services on both AWS and Azure, slightly few on, on Google Cloud Platform, but some differentiated ones, and then specialist cloud platforms from IBM and Oracle and, and other more niche players. When you say services, do you mean I can go to the AWS shop, for want of a better word, and I can say I want an, a, a mail server and I want a, I don't know, a Data, uh, a, um, a database server. Was that what we mean? So they, they they offer lots of different things from that perspective. Yeah, sure. So there's if you ta- if you take for for example a a database that you mentioned, you could you could build your own virtual machine and install the software and run that in in the way that you traditionally done and we've done you know even before the advent of hypervisors and virtual machines. But you can also run a a partly managed service. So being able to have be provided with a pre-installed instance of that software that you run it on, or you can have fully managed instances as well. So from the sounds of it, this is not about trying to save money as an organization. This is about trying to do more with less. Is that right? I think it really depends um, on what you're 
trying to do. I, th- I think traditionally, when you buy infrastructure on on site on premise, you will consume everything that is there. You don't think about uh, right sizing or making the most of what you have there to keep your workloads as as efficient as possible with their resources. So when you're looking to move stuff to the cloud, you could save money because you can right-size it. You can mean you can make sure the resources that that workload is using are the most efficient. Because when you buy traditional infrastructure, you tend to have a lot of space because you think, oh, I might need a bit more power because I don't quite know how much I'm going to need or I might need a bit more storage space because I don't know how much I'll need. Yeah, and, and you typically oversize it for, you know, growth, future progression. So you you give yourself extra space and, and extra resource just in case, I guess, um, which, yeah, it is a lot easier when you're buying traditional infrastructure because you are constrained by specific hardware, you you know, specific server boxes will only take a certain amount of memory and CPU and certain storage arrays will only take a certain amount of disk and things like that. Yeah, it's a continual review when you're going and consuming services. And especially when you're developing new services, you get to the point where you have to have an end state. So if you're developing new services, and, and that's where we were saying that it's actually quite good cost efficiency. So if you're not using virtual machines in a traditional sense that you would have done on-premise and just using services such as Lambda functions or or using serverless from, from Microsoft as an example, there's efficiencies to be had um, with using those as-a-service models that they provide. Um, and that just comes down to what the application's doing. So there is cost efficiencies to be had based on the portfolio of services that are available. Uh, Craig, do you have anything to add on that? There's, there's definitely some issues that customers experience in the push to production because we've seen the, the inflection point in getting into public cloud has largely been dr- driven by that developer community and it makes a lot of sense because they, they're not infrastructure guys and therefore if they're consuming on a utility model, they don't really have to worry about managing the underlying infrastructure. So when they get it right and you start to push these big applications out to production in a, a potentially a huge scale fashion we've seen with guys like Uber and Netflix, there's there's really an issue that the costs can spiral out of control very quickly. If you take propositions, say, you know, in my own big data, something like Azure HD Insights, that's a, a hosted version of the Hortonworks data platform. To spin that up is a, a 45 minute job and you can start getting access to a Jupyter notebook and it's four, five, six pounds an hour for a, a whole cluster. To build that cluster based on servers and storage and networking to instantiate that software is is a monthly, quarterly, huge lead time compared to the, the rapid time you can use by spinning it up in, in Azure or AWS. But actually, if you leave that cluster running for 12, 18, 24 months, the, the typical life cycle of an on-premises infrastructure and you fully utilize that, the cost modeling becomes very, very different. So I think understanding and what we do an awful lot of work with customers to help them understand is how the pricing models affect their consumption and how they can consume resources in in a really more efficient manner and make the most of their investment in the same way that we've we've always helped them out with licensing and on-premises hardware in in the traditional sense before the emergence of hyperscale public cloud. So, Helen, why does it matter? Do you think an organisation needs to worry or bother about it? Not not worry, but I think it's definitely something to think about. Um, you see a lot of companies that have, have seen cloud when it came out and thought, you know, this is the next best thing. This is definitely something we want to do and have shifted all of their, their workloads from on-prem into cloud and then found out, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, not complications, but, you know, ma- things to think about. So ma- management, um, spiraling costs, it's very easy to spin up. So if you give a lot of people access to it, you can spiral out of control very quickly. 
So you're saying people maybe have a tendency to kind of jump straight into it without really thinking about the longer term or yeah. the, the implications of it. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, cust- customers that are very innovative and at the forefront saw cloud as a, a real cutting edge piece and something that could help them get advantage over their other their competitors um, to help them you know, innovate quicker, develop apps quicker, things like that. So they went, yeah, let's do this. Let's go all in. And yeah, sometimes that's not the best thing for, for certain customers. Some customers, it might be great. Other customers, might the hybrid approach might be better. And some customers prefer to leave it all on-prem. So it's just having that mixed setup. And I think that's a fair, that's a fair comment because, you know, developers drove um, essentially a lot of the cloud usage in the early uh, release of public cloud platforms aws were the drivers and, and obviously the main innovators <clears throat> and so the developer market which is now growing and has been growing um kind of used cloud as a, a target because it was the least point of resistance um traditional it and, and most organizations that sit out there you know businesses that essentially have going bust or, or or continue to struggle in the markets uh, that, that you can correlate that back to the way potentially how technology works for them as well and so a lot of those organizations do still sit in their own data centers um they they are still sitting on you know, I would say legacy application models and, and using um, uh, hypervisors, so VMware and, and these technologies, which is great, but they, 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 they're not changing the way the applications are running. And that's what cloud as, as being able to facilitate the ability to think differently about workloads and applications. Um, you still need the infrastructure. And as I say, these public cloud providers do that, but they make it a lot easier because they put the service wrap on, on top to allow you to develop better and quicker as, as Helen just said um, and it's being able to take a lot of those older applications that don't maybe work in those ways or use those services to be able to tra- transition them into using those services we have seen organizations just move VMs essentially from on-premise to cloud and that's kind of what we're highlighting as being a, a potential problem is all those cost efficiencies that come with developing new applications that were promised three or four years ago organizations took that as if they could move their VMs and still get the cost efficiencies. And it's not cost efficient to move, you know, 200, 150 VMs straight from where you are on premise to a cloud platform because of the way you have to buy those resources. And I think that's where there's been a challenge and a misconception in the market for a lot of organizations that have gone and done that and realized that actually you need to be thinking differently about the applications and developing as opposed to actually moving VMs from A to B. So so it's about rethinking how, how, how as an organization you consume IT. It's not like saying, okay, everything's on premise. Let's just drag and drop it and put it into a data center. It's about saying, okay, we use this application. Do we need to use it or do we need to use it in a different way or do we need to do something different? Absolutely. And, and developers have driven usage of cloud because developers develop something from ground up in most cases. Um, and when you give them a toolbox, good developers, they'll create something that fouls it doesn't work but essentially it'll get to a point where it does work and it provides a value and and if you look at a lot of the you know startup companies like Uber, you know the, these the Deliveroo and there's a whole raft of internet-based startup companies there's no way they're going to go and buy infrastructure put it in a, pla- in, in a data, data center and say let's build a cloud they're looking to provide an application that provides a service for a need a requirement and big business is starting to now think in those ways. And the only way you can really do that and create the efficiencies in being able to do that is by using, in most cases, public cloud or create a public a public cloud equivalent in a private cloud sense if they want to retain control of data and governance. So cloud then, is it an all or nothing thing? Do, do you need to chuck everything in the cloud? Can you keep some stuff on premise? Is there a middle ground? How does it work? Fundamentally, I think what we've discussed already is that, that cloud is, is another form of consuming IT. And there's no there's no singular right or wrong way to do it. Um, there are companies such as as Wish and other born in the cloud, cloud native startups that that haven't got any heritage or legacy IT footprint, any 
traditional model that they need to have to migrate over or these kind of barriers to entry to to stop them going all in on hyperscale cloud and for those organizations it's worked very well for them particularly these big online organizations but also you have to bear in mind if you look at a for example a traditional retailer a lot of them are using products such as you know old school mainframe stuff think items that just either can't or it's not economically viable to move into the cloud and evaluating the right technological fit for them is is exactly the same job in the cloud as it it has been previously in IT buying cycles when you're buying on-premises infrastructure or, or any other product. It's just a different consumption model. So certainly the vast majority of organizations that we deal with are going hybrid. And that's something that's borne out by not only the traditional IT vendors, such as HPE with their message around hi- hybrid cloud, Dell EMC and, and other traditional vendors, but also Amazon Web Services have options to bring some of their their products down into into the fog, as it's called, which is cloud closer to the ground. We're seeing the VMware Cloud and AWS partnership. So that's combining, you know, the two big forces in, in on-premises and hyperscale cloud, Microsoft with their Azure Stack product. And certainly the, the wind seems to be blowing towards that hybrid world and making sure that, that customers are making the right decisions to place their investments in where it's appropriate to drive business value. So just, so you mentioned hybrid cloud, just explain how that works. There's a, there's a numerous set of definitions that underpin that and, and in the same way that cloud can be used in a lot of different ways. But fundamentally, what we refer to typically as hybrid cloud is having a on-premises infrastructure presence and a public cloud presence, but significantly one that is, is connected between the two. So having the ability to communicate between those two sites to potentially move workloads over. So security in the cloud, is there anything additional that organizations need to consider with putting workloads in the cloud uh, or, or having anything cloud perspective within their organization? In an architectural sense, so if you're moving certain services to uh, any of the public cloud platforms, they basically give you more tools to be able to micro-segment um, your estate. So actually, um, you know, historically, you put two firewalls into a data center, you might have two in another data center, and all the traffic comes through those firewalls. You have things like DMZs, and obviously all your web services sit in a DMZ. And that's kind of, if you like, a, a, a kind of a standard on-premise data center model. When you look at the applications themselves or the workloads, when you're looking to move those to a cloud platform, you can just architect it so it's secure by design almost. So there's things like, uh, you know, in Azure, you have network security groups and you can obviously put web services in those. You can put network separate network security groups for your databases and your applications. So what that means is that these security groups are essentially mini islands themselves and you only open up the ports between the security groups based on the actual traffic that's required for those actual applications to, to talk on. And actually, that's different to what happened on premise where historically you have maybe a vlan and you have your production vlan so all the computers in that production vlan talk to each other Um, and if they go out they go out via the firewall so you almost have um, this model where everything comes in and out via a firewall whereas it's slightly different as i say in cloud you can architect it where that application is architected from day one to be secure and any anomaly outside of the particular traffic that's being used across the application it gets flagged up as an anomaly so you can actually manage your security better that's not to say you don't still need firewalls in cloud but you kind of look at things like web application firewalls so use it for acceleration and you can use it for load balancing and all these other bits and pieces Um, it just so happens that it's there to kind of terminate traffic so it's kind of slightly different in terms of how you can architect some people when they deploy into cloud don't follow those rules Um, we recommend that they do uh, because it's important that you can secure workloads by design when you deploy in cloud and they give you the ability to do that and the functions to do that so um 
is cloud more or less secure than just keeping everything on premise? I think the the big security flaws we've seen in public cloud have come from users and customers of public cloud providers not understanding their responsibility. So I think we've we've all spoken about the different forms of cloud and software as a service, platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, and that and you know you may may have seen the sort of the the idea of pizzas as a as the difference between these and we'll try and find a link to that in the show notes that some customers don't understand the demarcation level between what their responsibility is for security you know they if you're running even if it's an infrastructure as a service which is the the lowest tier of management typically in a public cloud environment yes you don't have to patch your servers you don't have to update the bios on the hardware because that's being dealt with by the public cloud provider but you still have to secure your applications and architect correctly. So I think it's really important that organizations understand how to secure things in the cloud and also how to secure their data and their workloads on-premises. And there's a lot of different ways of doing that and understanding how how data and how workloads are moving around is in, is important irrespective of where they are. So what steps would an organization need to take to start looking at cloud seriously? It, it's led with a, a discovery phase. Simple as that, really. Organizations, they want to go and do something different. Um, and we want to discover what they're trying to do as a business, what they're trying to do with their existing IT, what they're doing with their spend. And we basically just go into a bit more detail around what that is overall. And then we start defining where cloud potentially or hybrid cloud or even on-premise essentially is suitable for what they're doing around workloads specifically. So the first stage is, is the discovery. So, so practically, how does that look to a, to a customer? So typically, you want someone with experience who's done cloud transformation or even data center transformation, I might add. Um, but also someone who's got understanding of the, of the business itself or can understand how a business functions. Because what you're trying to do is to take that information um, along with some of the technical challenges that particular organization has and then just try and create a roadmap for the next, for the next steps. And it's typically broken down into uh, application workloads specifically, focusing on applications and how they can run and how they can run it in, in future. So you start having basically different conversations with the customer and not just telling them um, what you've got today and how it, you know, w- what can happen next. It's actually going into the application specific um, areas and looking at the independencies of, that, of those applications because only then you can help the customer decide where those applications can run. So we've done the discovery phase with a bit of an assessment. What's the next thing a customer would do? So you, you'd uh, work to understand um, the data that you'd collected. You focus specifically on the applications and then you can determine what can happen with those applications next. Whether that means you look to transform those applications into using certain services and to do them better. Or it could be that you just want to move stuff to then uh, a, a, another platform or a cloud platform where you can then do it better or you can uh, create efficiencies around that. But it depends if you want to transform the application itself. As we said, you can just lift and shift what you have and then optimize it accordingly. You'll be surprised. Most people over-provision on-premise with their um, certainly estate virtual machines specifically. So even by doing that assessment, it, what organizations will find that they can create efficiencies probably instantly by just right-sizing workloads. But then, you, as I say, you, you just look at the applications and see if it's actually worthwhile using things that are slightly different. So once you finish this process, you should then have the, the blueprint for what you're going to do next. So this is the design element. But I think you should at least know where things are best placed at that point. But it's fluid. So it, it, it's not like you do it and then you stop. It's a continual effort. So even if you transition or transform the particular application that's been um, pulled out from that assessment phase because we're not saying go and do everything you know it's going to be some complexity there that is a challenge to change so you can do certain things that allow you to use cloud in the right way for the specific workload and then you can migrate or transition 
that's database or use services that are available in the cloud platforms to do so. But you need to operate that. You need to make sure it's efficient. You need to make sure it's optimized. But that's a continual process. And then you should continually you know, assess the estate to see where it's suitable to change certain things. And I think that organizations are so busy doing business as usual because that's what they're trained to do. That's what they've been doing for years. And it's just being a bit more proactive with what's happening within the organization and the applications that are being used. Um, And that's a continual effort. So that's the design phase what's the next thing an organization needs to do? Yeah, well, I kind of went through some of that just now. So you, you transition and, and, and then migrate it into or deploy it into the cloud platform. And then, you know, from that point on, the fourth step is an operate. So you need to run it. Um, and after the fifth stage of that is the innovation around it. So so there's five stages, as we call it. So discovery, des- design, um, deliver, operate, innovate. That's our five stages of transformation. So what do we expect to see in the future then? So I think one of the, the really interesting things that's come out of out of public cloud space is traditionally we saw it starting off as a as an infrastructure as a service place, so being able to move your existing data center workloads. But actually now a lot of the cloud providers are providing some really innovative services that, that customers and developers can latch onto. So I think we've seen some some interesting innovation points from the public cloud providers. So Google are providing TensorFlow, TPU processing units for machine learning and AI as a as an available service within Google Cloud Platform. Amazon Web Services have products such as Lex and Poly, Recognition, um, and Microsoft have similar things through the their cognitive suite of tools. And these are taking some really interesting research points in fields like machine learning, artificial intelligence, natural language processing, neural networks that's really going to enable organizations to build some very, very interesting platforms that you know, even five years ago would be the preserve of computer science researchers at probably 20 or 30 big universities globally. It's allowing businesses actually to become a bit more experimental with how they attack their markets. Um, and and I think this is where we have many conversations with people who run data centers. And, and as I say, if you're, you're a business that does you know, movies or if you're a business that sells clothes, you, know, you, you don't want to be running IT as such, but what you want to be doing is using IT as an enabler to do some of the stuff that's been mentioned there. Because that's what separates you from potentially the competition. So... Uh, I guess putting yourself in the shoes of an organisation. Do you think in say five, ten years' time, actually everything will be in the cloud, and there will there'll be no need for anything on premise because those services will be so mature? Um, on that space, I think there's definitely going to be this emergence of, of hybrid as the default IT operating model. But also, there's um, something that I'm going to sh- unashamedly steal, but attribute to Werner Vogels, who's the CTO of Amazon Web Services. Um, which he spoke about at reInvent probably a couple of years ago when they launched Greengrass, which is a, a fog computing service, which is aligned to their IoT. And there's fundamentally three laws that you have to deal with when deciding whether the public cloud is appropriate. So first of all, you have, have the laws of physics in that data centers are going to be located further away typically from, from your end user or your device that you're connecting out. And that's going to induce latency into the system. We still have to traverse networks to be able to get back to these public cloud data centers so for sure if if you have very latency sensitive applications you have real-time computing needs things like augmented reality processing that's something that is very difficult to process in the cloud because you're dealing with something that needs to be responsive to the human eye and to human interaction you have the law of economics in that certain workloads will 
will still be cheaper to run yourselves and certain organizations that have really deep embedded IT skills and have taken on things like white box hardware and big investments into open source, it probably doesn't make sense to throw away all of that existing investment. And that's part of the discovery phase that Dean spoke about in how we and other organizations define these these cloud propositions. And finally is the law of the land. And we've seen a lot of different organizations and different nations have different rules around where data can be located, where services can be located. You know, we've spoken about GDPR previously on, on the podcast with some of our colleagues, and there's still both countries and organizations are working out how they feel about handing over data and services to these hyperscale players. There's, you know, whether those fears are founded or unfounded is a more of a philosophical question perhaps, but we're seeing organizations, for example, in the grocery retail space, refusing to use Amazon Web Services unless there's a very unique proposition that they have. And the reason for this is that the Amazon Web Services is very much a competitor of theirs. They purchased Whole Foods last year. They've opened their, their Amazon Go shop in Seattle and Planter to move that out even more. And for them, it's seen as a defined risk to actually move products into the cloud. So I think we're still going to see the, the proliferation of this hybrid model for, for a while largely along the line of those those three laws that I've stolen from Werner Vogels. Okay, so to summarize? So, so organizations are going hybrid cloud or they're going to cloud. Um, startup organizations are going to be using cloud um, and there's going to be cloud sprawl. There's going to be a lot of cloud stuff happening all over the place. And I just think it's a case of understanding what you're doing as a business, applications you have, just to t- determining where best for them to run and there's um, an element of intelligence and and my my point is there is a a cloud intelligence piece that has to happen across all of this um, and it's a continual evolving market and world in that in that regard yeah absolutely i think that that continuous evolution that you just mentioned in is is really important in terms of the summary cloud is accelerating at a, a huge factor a rate of knots compared to what we've seen traditionally and i think organizations really need to be aware of of what cloud means to them what it can do for their their business both from a potential opportunities basis and we've seen with some of the emerging technologies that we spoke about earlier in these really deep ai machine learning really innovative services but also what potential threats it offers to their business model because if if an organization doesn't understand cloud odds are their competitors probably do there's a real sort of arms race in this, not only between the different public cloud providers to to capture this emerging and hugely lucrative market, multiple billions of dollars globally a year, but also for other organizations to adopt cloud as their innovation engine and something that can really deliver value to their customers. So I think it's really important to to understand what cloud means in the context of, of your individual organization and what it means and what it holds for you in the future. And I think if if there's one thing we do take from you know the summaries and all the questions we've asked there then it's companies definitely need to be thinking about cloud but thinking about it carefully and think about it in the context of their business and the security and and any kind of potential threats and uh, pitfalls that can be around cloud so it's it's not something to to shy away from or or hide from it's definitely something to embrace and to allow you as a business to innovate um, but just doing it in a in a sensible careful way 
So Dean, Helen and Craig, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you all about cloud. Uh, listeners, if there's anything in the show that has Peter interest, or if you'd like to talk to someone at SoftCat about anything that we've talked in this episode or any of the previous episodes, uh, please do check out the show notes. We're going to put some of the stuff that we talked about today as well as some ways to get in touch if you'd like to do so. Please also make sure you click subscribe wherever you get your podcast uh, and you can also download any of the previous episodes from Explain It Season 1. So you've been listening to Explain It from SoftCat. Thanks for listening and goodbye.